Okay, we are live. Uh, so for those listening at home, welcome to the Dungeon Musings podcast. My name is Kevin Madison, and I will be your friendly dungeon muser. I want to start today's episode with a poem, or at least part of one. In the spring, a fuller crimson comes upon the robin's breast. In the spring, the wanton lapwing gets himself another crest. In the spring, a livelier iris changes on the burnished dove. In the spring, a young man's fancy turns lightly to thoughts of love. Now, my thoughts are not turning to love, nor am I seeing any change in my breast or my crest. But I have, at the time of recording, spent a fairly long weekend where I had a lovely uh, staycation, both from uh, work and my regular gaming schedule, where I had some op- an opportunity to do a bit of uh, not a dark night of the soul, soul searching, but I, I had a lot of time to dive into some um, gaming books that I have not uh, had a chance to do yet that I've been looking to get into. And uh, I've got some thoughts to share on that and also for um, some uh, thoughts that I've got for my August because for me it's never too... Uh, actually, I'll talk about my uh, gaming marathon as well too, uh, which is coming up on June 1st. So it's about uh, five weeks from uh, now at the time of recording. And uh, yeah, so that's what I want to talk about is uh, what I've been thinking about in the springtime, uh, what I've been planned for the um, for the June uh, 1st gaming marathon, and uh, what I'm thinking of doing for, or the proposed event, I should say, that I've got for August. So that's a pretty full schedule. Let's waste no time and get right to it. Okay, so I've actually got one more thing to add to the list, and and this is actually related to my springtime, uh, my springtime thoughts here. The first thing is is I guess, and this is maybe something that has helped to prompt this, but I recently played in a session of the One Ring uh, role playing game uh, that my buddy um, Arlen Wolker uh, ran for me, um, where I got a chance to play a Hobbit. And uh, if you're not familiar with the One Ring, it's the most recent iteration uh, of... Uh, I shouldn't say it's not an iteration because it's a brand new thing. But it's the most recent attempt at um, writing a Tolkien-style uh, role-playing game. Uh, something to, to play... To be honest, it's actually set a little... I think it's after The Hobbit, but before The uh, um, before the Lord of the Rings, uh, if I remember correctly. But uh, it's a game that uh, particularly tries to... Um, capture the style of Tolkien's works uh, and and make a game experience that simulates that, or at least that adopts many of the things that are characteristic of Tolkien's work. So it's not like you know D and D reskinned to play in uh, that setting, or you know like uh, the um, the first uh, role playing game for Middle Earth. The Middle Earth role playing, and actually, I don't know if that's the first one, but that's the first you know major one that I was exposed to. Uh, that one was uh, basically Role Master that was spun to you know to play like um, uh, play in Middle Earth, but like no effort was made to try and make it actually you know uh, capture the spirit and the sensibilities of the source material. It was just basically like a different version of D anD D that happened to be set in Middle Earth. Um, but anyway, the, the um, that actually relates to my my August plans as well. So, the uh, I mean, so the long for you know, the long story short is is that I thoroughly thoroughly enjoy the One Ring. I've owned it for a couple of years now, and uh, I've got a 
for I've been fortunate to get a complete library of the books for it. And uh, but it's not a game I, I ever got to the table. And uh, Arlen uh, recently had donated uh, very uh, generously to the Heroes Save Villages uh, charity fundraising campaign that I run on my YouTube channel. And um, he asked that I run uh, that for him and uh, to sort of help me get my feet uh, grounded for that game and, and uh, or get them wet. Uh, he offered to run a session for it, so I was quite happy to join in, and we had some of our regular players uh, join in with that as well, too. Someone from my uh, Iron Gods campaign uh, joined, in, and some um, guys from my uh, Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea game uh, dove in as well, too. So it was, uh, it was a really, really fun session. And I've been thinking a lot about it uh, the last little while, um, it, and that has led me to thinking about some other stuff uh, relating or some other games I've got that are themselves um, direct uh, or efforts that are are to make a game or like gamify the sensibilities and setting of different fictional um, you know different uh, fictional settings that have in some way uh, served as inspirations for uh, D and D over the, over the years. So. Um, I guess the first thing is, is running that really made me think like, oh boy, like running a game that has an experience point system that is not based on levels is, is really a, a quite a nice, um, it was quite a nice break. And for me, it, it felt, uh, a lot better than, uh, I felt running, playing fifth edition D and D when I was playing that briefly. You know, and part of that is also, it's a very different, I mean, I'm not really comparing apples to apples here. The adventure we played, the pre-gen adventure, in um, One Ring was was a, a great deal more fun than what uh, Curse of Strahd was because I just didn't care for uh, Curse of Strahd uh, all that much at all. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and I mean, I think, I think everyone also who played in uh, in that was a lot more engaged. I guess like everyone was more. There's more opportunities to jump into really fun role playing. You know, not just uh, running combat or going from room to room waiting for combat to happen, which is kind of the case in a lot of D&D adventures, or at least the pre-made adventures. So, I don't know. I uh, I just really enjoyed Like, I felt like I was playing a much more, um, ho- like, holistic character. I was able to do more things in more scenes. Um, I really enjoyed the dice pool mechanic. Like, the, the way the dice pool are built, basically, is you... Uh, you're always going to roll a d12, and then to that you're going to add the sum of a number of d6s uh, to which you you know represent your 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 trait. And then on top of that, you also have an expendable resource called hope that will allow you to um, to to modify dice rolls. And it's a really it was a really clever uh, dice mechanic. It's it's a complicated game. It's not something you can. I, I think that. Um, you know, is as easily grokked as, you know, D&D is, or some of the other, like, a lot of the OSR games that I, I play, but, uh, boy, is there, like, I, that, it was a level of complexity that I am totally comfortable with and really enjoyed. I loved having a lot of really interesting sub-mechanics that I was able to sink my teeth in. There was a lot of interesting decisions I could make about the, that would affect the mechanics of the, of the play, so it was a great game, like, I, and I'm really looking forward to playing it again. I had more uh, yeah, I mean, I think I had more fun playing that uh, than I've I've had in uh, playing almost anything in in quite some time, um, and that's a combination of how much I enjoyed the rules and how much there was for me to think about and make decisions on, as well as the actual play. Like we had um, 
the, the major scenes that we had was like a little skirmish with uh, some orcs. We had some uh, chatty chatty time with uh, good old Radagast at uh, Rosgabel. And uh, we, I got to have a whole palaver with the um, uh, elf king uh, with, uh, what's his nose? The uh, Thranduil. And uh, it was just great, you know, and everybody was a real Lord of the Rings nerd too. So like we were, we were all really getting into it. And um, I thoroughly loved how much my guy was a goofy, uh, like I wasn't playing him for laughs. I was trying to play him as a credible character, but I mean, he was a real, you know, salt of the earth kind of little hobbit. And uh, there was plenty of great opportunities for him to you know, to, to contribute in a meaningful way, even in combat, I could, I, what I chose to do was adopt a specific stance. Cause you could, you can sort of choose what stance you're in that would allow me to, to intervene on my allies behalf and make, uh, redirect the target towards me. But because of the stance I had, it was a lot harder to hit me. So I could effectively kind of be like a little hobbit tank and it was, which was cool. Like I, I really didn't have a very good chance of like carving down these orcs, but you know, being a team player, playing a support role, was totally fine with me, and I, I really enjoyed that. And it made sense, too, because I'm playing a little a little hobbit, right? Like, hobbits aren't going to jump in there and, you know, start whacking people down. Like, it just didn't... That is, to me, is silly, and it breaks my, um, breaks my immersion. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, anyway, I, I, uh, I just really enjoyed that game, and that got me uh, thinking a lot about... Well, about that game as well. And I think, you know, now that I... Now that I think of it, I'm going to talk... Maybe in reverse? No, let's talk about the springtime stuff. So springtime, what, what also happened is I've been thinking about that game and reading over uh, One Ring uh, quite a bit uh, since then to really get a better idea of what other things are available because um, I'm not spoiling anything here, but my initial uh, thought was was that I would like to surprise, because knowing who uh, Arlen is and how much he enjoys the um, like the the nooks and crannies of Tolkien lore, or it seems to. Uh, I thought it'd be really cool to set the session at, in one of the in a, a place that's been a bit of a white whale for me for many years, um, which is the Gondorian Kinstrife, which takes place about um, sixteen hundred years before the I think it's sixteen hundred sixteen hundred years before the War of the Ring, and it's the time when there was this massive civil war in Gondor because of basically racist, um, a racist response to, uh, to someone marrying what was considered a quote unquote lesser, you know, uh, marrying into the stock of lesser men. And, um, you know, I, uh, I just, I thought that was a really interesting period and it's, it's all canon. It's all found in the appendices of, uh, the Lord of the Rings and um, I thought it'd be cool to set up a story there, see if I could make that, um, you know, make one ring work for that. And then I found out later that there was actually, there is a, a stream session that uh, already sort of took that idea or at least used an old module to do it. But so I was like, well, I'm not going to do that because it's already been done. But now that I think about it more and now that I've played the game, I actually think it might be a good idea. I think it might be fun to to really try and do that and see if I can capture, you know, um, that fairly, you know, dark period uh of uh, tolkien's uh legendarium and uh yeah so anyway so i've been thinking about that and i've also been uh, i over my long weekend i got a chance to prepare the next charity session like the one ring one is not the next thing that's up the next thing that's up is a legend of the five rings one uh someone uh dave one of my regular players made a donation last year and uh he had requested the 
Uh, Fantasy Flight, the most recent version of the Fantasy Flight um, Legend of the Five Rings game. And the Five Rings game was something that he and another regular player of mine, Steve, they played uh, about two sessions of, uh, where we played through the intro adventure from the starter box. And they, I mean, we all loved it. It's, uh, I've mentioned on, on um, the channel, on my YouTube channel and in the podcast before, that I think that it is uh, both the strongest uh, implementation of the Fantasy Flight narrative dice mechanic uh, I've seen so far. Uh, including the you know um, Warhammer Fantasy uh, Roleplay Third Edition, uh, the uh, Star Wars uh, and slash Genesis uh, dice mechanic. I think this is the the best version they've done so far for their role playing games, and it's also the best version of the uh, of, of a role playing game set in the setting um, because the the whole roll and keep mechanic uh, from the previous edition just felt so damn swingy. Um, that uh, this just feels better. Like it feels like right from the get-go, you can, you know, you're not you're not playing characters who are inept. You're playing characters who can do interesting things and and have a fun, capable story. Um, but anyway, I was prepping that, and that got me thinking. Like, boy, this is a really, this is a game that really <laughs> plays really well. Like at last, I had that in mind. I got really obsessed with it after I ran it last time, and then got distracted by something else, and and started running. Um, you know, started running some other games, so I set that aside, thinking that, well, gosh, I'm not going to have a chance to get it back to the table, but boy, oh boy, I, I uh, am really excited for this one-shot we're going to be uh, playing in a couple of weeks. I think I've got a really clever idea for the uh, for the one-shot story. I've, I've applied uh, the 10 rules that I had set out in my previous episode for writing uh, one-shots, and uh, I think that this will be, I'm hoping it'll be a really fun session for everyone involved and really give them a chance to, you know, for the setting and the system to really shine uh, for this. Uh, so that got me thinking about like, boy, you know, I, um, hmm, there, I, I really enjoy this and I like the idea of the organic growth that you get with just awarding XP after each session. Uh, and then over the weekend, I, uh, on Sunday, I spent the entire day reading my uh, slipcase edition of the um, RuneQuest Glorantha, uh, role-playing in Glorantha. So it's the most recent edition of the RuneQuest game. Uh, I got that about, uh, I don't know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago maybe. And uh, I just have not had time to really dive into it, but I spent all of Sunday from dawn to dusk uh, reading that thing, reading that. Uh, the slipcase has the core rulebook, the bestiary, and then the game master's screen and pack. And um, I have not been, uh, I've never played uh, RuneQuest before. I've owned one previous edition, but really never, you know, paid it much uh, much mind. I, I have owned Mithras before, but I, it really didn't quite, uh, and Mithras is basically like a uh, renamed uh, RuneQuest 6 edition from, uh, from what I understand. But it never really, I don't know, like I, I, it was interesting, but it, it really didn't, um, it did not uh, impress me as much as what this version did. And holy smokes, like, uh, there's a lot, like, I'm still processing the, the, what I've, you know, what my thoughts are on the game, but, uh, there's a lot of stuff that I really, really, really like about this game. Um, and it reminds me in many ways of a lot of the things that I enjoy about some of my other old favorites, like in particular, uh, GURPS, and the generic universal role-playing system published by Steve Jackson Games. Uh, it reminds me of GURPS because of the 
the very you know uh, technical but uh, lethal uh, combat system. I like that an awful lot. I like the um, the idea of uh, organic uh, growth of your characters. The idea that you get to spend experience points and see advancement in your abilities by using them. Uh, that is really is really cool. Um, I love the setting. Holy smokes. Like the setting of Glorantha, I had a hard time. I thought I would have a real hard time getting into, but like, man, oh man, like the, the combination of this bronze age style setting that is, you know, influenced by kind of, um, you know, Mesopotamian myths and, uh, Conan stories. And, uh, as well, really infused with a world that is affected and, um, you know, permeated with folklore and legendary. It's just fascinating. Like, it's a really interesting uh, setting. And um, the Game Master's Pack does a terrific job of giving you a clear idea of how you put all of those really complex uh, materials together into a uh, compelling setting because uh, it provides a really good sandbox setting for you to, to play in. And... Uh, Anyway, so that got me thinking a lot about, um, you know, the style, about the games I've been playing. And I, I mentioned today in a, in a tweet about how, boy, I really haven't been this impressed with a game that I missed in my childhood uh, since I, I played Mongoose's Traveler. Because that was another one where I had not actually run Traveler since when I was a kid. It's just one of those games that I was around and I was a I was aware of, but I never actually ran. And then I ran it on, and I was just like, holy shit, like, how did I miss this? It's such a good game. And Glorantha... Role or uh, RuneQuest uh, role-playing in Glorantha seems, I'll just call it uh, RQG, actually, from now on. Uh, it reminds me of that. Like, it just like, how, how did I miss this? This is such an, a fascinating game. And um, I love how everything about it, the setting and, this, and the mechanics and what you're expected to do in the game, it drives you towards the fiction. In the same way that that Traveler does as well, too. Like, there's some really fun mini-games in Traveler, but all of them require you to interface with the actual fiction, and I love that about Traveler. So that got me thinking today about my slate of games. Well, actually, that's not what did it. Last night, I read... Uh, I uh, The regular viewers of the channel may know that I had actually picked up um, the... Um, I can't remember the name of the, the company is, but it's a Matt Lillard's gaming company. Um that put together this really cool platinum edition of the Dungeon Heist, Dungeon Heist, Dragon Heist uh, adventure. And it's this, it's this beautiful box set that's got a bunch of extra shit in it for you to use as handouts and this cool like canvas map. It's, it's really a beautiful product. I, I have an unboxing of it on my YouTube channel if you're curious as to what's in this thing. But I finally actually sat down and read the adventure last night. And I don't want to dwell on too much negativity because I kind of vented on a, on a with a, a tw tweet uh, or a Twitter chain last night about it but it's not a good adventure like it's, it's not only it's not terribly well written uh, or at least not completed um, there's nothing about it that I find particularly inspiring or interesting and part of that is because like I just don't give two shits about the Forgotten Realms I've never found I found Greyhawk more interesting than Forgotten Realms largely, partly because, I mean, it was an open canvas, that old box set of uh, Greyhawk was just an open canvas on which I could write my adventures, um, and partly just because, I don't know, like, I think that Forgotten Realms just sounds, is, is so bland, like, everything feels the same, it doesn't, 
you know, like the the monsters don't really seem like they act like alien beings or non-human beings. They're all just humans in different guises and the different nations all feel pretty much the same apart from their kind of alignments to them. Nothing has that really, I don't know, like that really unique flavor the way you get from a lot of other settings. Um, yeah, just, I, I don't know. I just, it, it always seems blind. I know that it's a, it, you know, it's, it's probably the most popular gaming setting everywhere. So it, that's just my own thing, but that's, and that's, I, I mentioned that not to vent about Forgotten Realms, but only to say that, um, you know, if you, if you are interested in, in uh, the Dragon Heist adventure, don't let my predisposition towards the Forgotten Realms may be affecting that. But the thing is, I came away from it feeling like, Jesus, I don't, I don't give two shits about this adventure. And I'm not really excited to run this for the gaming marathon. Now, for those who may be unfamiliar, um, for the last four years, we've streamed our gaming marathons. Once a year, we get together and back in my hometown and we run an epic like 16-hour session of, of some games. In, in the past years, we've run Warhammer uh, Fantasy 3rd Edition. We've run the Conan 2D20 game. And we've run the Traveler, uh, the Mongoose 2nd Edition Traveler role-playing game. And this year, what I picked this thing up really to run for the session. And... That, but that's only the, I mean, the last couple of years. I've actually done this for more than 20 years. Every every year for my birthday, I pick a white whale of mine, and uh, I run that as the, the game that, you know, I, I haven't got to the table for whatever reason, and uh, we all get together, and we run a great one-shot and have a blast, and, and uh, you know, and and and, um, and I make it as best I can uh, as much of an event for all the people involved as I can. And now that's evolved, now that we've got a channel we play on, into this, uh, you know, this streamed gaming marathon. So I thought, well, this, you know, Platinum Box is going to have a lot of fun accessories with it. Um, this which would be fun to, to stream on the channel, you know, because uh, there'll be some great accessories to hold up. Uh, but, man, like, the adventure is just, <laughs> it's so fucking boring. Um, and I've got some ideas of how I might, like, basically rewrite the whole thing to make use of, of the materials, but the more I thought about it today, the more I'm like, you know, the only time I really got excited about running 5th edition D&D recently is when I started running my my uh, adventure set in the World of Warcraft setting in, in Azeroth. And it's not that, I mean, I'm enjoying 5th edition, but I'm enjoying it running the adventure, the on kind of campaign I've got running that. It's not that game either that really, you know, floats my boat. There's, there's other games that I get much more excited and much more interested in, in running, like Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea, that are in that D&D vein. It just so happens that 5th edition really, I think, does a good job of emulating the um, uh, World of Warcraft setting. And it's not to say that 5th edition is a bad game by, by any means. It's just that I'm not sure... You know, I, right now I have on my slate uh, of games I'm, I'm currently running, um, Starfinder... Pathfinder, Warhammer, or, or uh, um, not Warhammer, uh, D&D 5th Edition, all of which are level-based games. And I have been really feeling constrained by the milestone leveling system from those games lately a lot. And I think that playing One Ring and then reading RuneQuest has really had... And then today talking about Traveler has kind of tweaked something in my mind. And that's this where the the reason I, I started with the quote from Tennyson, uh, Tennyson's poem, about a young man's fancy lightly turning to thoughts of love. Well, I'm not turning my thoughts of love. My turn are to thoughts 
of non-level-based games. So let's uh, end this segment here and let's talk about non-level-based games. All right, so the thing I've been thinking about is, the I guess, reading RuneQuest and... Um, and honestly, running Warhammer uh, Fantasy Roleplay 4th Edition, the, the Cubicle 7 game, and um, remembering just how much I enjoyed playing or running uh, my Traveler campaign uh, has really got me... And, and also, I guess, like, I mentioned on the, on the podcast the sort of, mis- not misgivings, but uh, uh, the lack of fit, I guess... Uh, maybe misgivings are, are the right way, but I'm, I'm, I'm no. It's uh, it's the restlessness I've been feeling with the Pathfinder uh, campaign. Um, my Iron Gods Pathfinder campaign has it's a adventure path I've been waiting for a really long time to run. I love it, and I've, I've said before how much of a white whale it is for me. But um, now that we're actually playing through it. Um, I I enjoy everybody who is playing that campaign. I thoroughly enjoy the um, characters we've got in the game, um, but <laughs> I'm not sure I'm really enjoying Pathfinder all that much. I, I just you know the the prospect of the leveling thing and not not being able to give the players something uh, satisfactory after each session or satisfying after each session is kind of eh. Um, not. I guess having something where there is a clear indicator in the overall structure of the campaign that de- uh, denotes how far along you've you've reached, um, and by that I mean like you know completing certain adventures, you know, uh, whether you're completing the first module of the six, knowing that there is clear milestones, I I, I really kind of hate that. I really hate it. Um, You know, the idea that there is a clear path forward, I just, and that that, that it's, um, you know, there's a clear story that the characters are progressing through, that they will know when we go on from one adventure to the next, that just feels, I don't know, like, if, I, I, uh, it puts a constraint on the, on the campaign that I just, I'm, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm chafing against. And, uh, when I compare that to, you know, the, um, Starfinder campaign, which is, is, uh, in the same vein, um, I'm not, I don't feel the same restrictions or constraints with the Starfinder game because I can easily level stuff up in that. I can, I can use the, the rules mechanic, make it uh, very easy. So if the players are advancing, uh, you know, past the point where the difficulty is beyond what, um, you know, what, what is recommended, it's easy for me to scale up the difficulty of the, I don't need to add more monsters or, or adversaries or things like that. I can just use the, the character generator I've got to scale up the monsters. I can turn them from CR2 to CR3 or, or whatever, whatever scale I need it to be. Um, that's not as easy in uh, Pathfinder. And, uh, and I, I think the, the the milestone aspect of that, the artificial kind of scaling of the characters and not seeing regular advancement or change with the characters, um, it's something I maybe I chafe against more than what I feel the players do. 
you know, because the players really haven't been complaining in any of my games about, you know, gaining levels, but I feel like, ah, I want to see them, I want to be able to, to see some change. And I've talked about uh, different tools for providing advancement. And uh, the trouble is, is with these adventure paths, you really can't do that. You can't provide them a, um, you know, an alternate because there is a clear plot that drives forward in these games. Um, if you choose to pursue something different to that, you derail the overall campaign. And uh, that's not a bad thing if you're not intending to play through a full adventure path or, or campaign that's pre-written. But that's what everyone in that campaign kind of signed up for. So, yeah. so anyway, I mean, the, the combination of the, the you know, problems with advancement or awarding, um, you know, uh, advancement in a, uh, a level-based game that has uh, milestones in it rather than just handing out XP. Like, I don't have those, I don't feel those constraints in my Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea game because I just throw XP out and whatever level they are was whatever level they are. I don't need to worry about balance or whatever else because that game is just going where the players choose to go. Um, so, yeah, I, so I guess that unease combined with reminder of how much I enjoyed Traveler where there is no XP. Like, you do not gain experience points. Your characters are what your characters are, and you just play. You know, you play for the sake of, of enjoying the experience and, and what your rewards are or your method of advancement in that game is, you know, treasure. Is, is it not treasure, but loot, you know, is gaining credits, is gaining a better ship, is gaining better contacts, is seeing, you know, is things that you obtain through actually playing and actually interfacing with the world. Um, it is awesome. Like it, it's just a, a great um, way of generating, uh, basically, uh, like providing an incentive structure for the players to interface with the world. Like it's just, it, it's a great, yeah, it's just a great game. I, I really enjoy Traveler. And um, the only reason we set our aside, uh, that our campaign aside was because we saw a dramatic change in the availability of players for that thing. So um, I've I've been, you know, I've, I've had my traveler books sitting there but i've really because i I got bit by the osr bug so uh hard i really did uh take a deep dive into a lot of the osr games and i've been getting a lot of those to the table and all those are level based but you know reading um rune quest has really made me think like geez like there's a i wonder if i might find the same satisfaction that I'm getting in my Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea game, where I'm just letting the players go where they want, and they're doing what they want, and uh, I'm just seeing, you know, the story unfold, I would get the same experience um, with RuneQuest. Uh, I'm getting that experience with my Warhammer Fantasy roleplay 4th edition game, because I'm just awarding XP at the end of each session, and we're seeing, you know, players are doing what they choose to do. They're currently, they've they're, they've been hired to do something, but, you know, if they choose to walk away from that campaign and go and do something else, that's totally fine. There, You know, there's plenty of structures in the game itself, mechanical structures that provide um, ways to incentivize play, like it's to, to uh, reward the players and give them things to do that... Um, that aren't just pursuing, you know, doing things until they hit a certain arbitrary milestone. Uh, and it, it, I also wonder whether this would satisfy the more grounded play that I was, I was hoping uh, 
to get with um, getting GURPS back to the table. Like my, my thought of getting GURPS to the table, and to be honest, my, my thought of getting Rollmasters to the table was partly because playing a more realistic and visceral, uh, quote-unquote realistic or simulationist, I guess, uh, version of combat, I'd probably get that in RuneQuest. It really seems like it would play that way. But it would still give the players... I mean, it wouldn't just kill them outright because there's, you know, characters in RuneQuest get access to a bunch of different, really interesting uh, variety of spells, both um, uh, spirit uh, magic, which is like kind of everyday stuff they can use, uh, you know, um, with a rechargeable uh, resource, and also with um, more powerful things through their rune magic that uh, recharges a lot slower. Um, So... And also, I mean, the, it reminds me of the things I loved about Traveler, which is to say that you, the character generation process generates a really interesting character that is firmly affixed in the fiction. Uh, you learn a lot about their backstory, uh, dating back two generations to their grandparents, uh, and it situates it in the actual setting, which is, uh, is awesome. So the character, they, the the process of creating a character is it, it situates them in the fiction, and then everything you do, just like in Traveler, is interfacing with the, the fiction as well. Now, the um, the reason why I couldn't run that for most of my games right now is uh, most of my particularly in my Wednesday sessions is because I have two inconsistent. Uh, an attendance uh, on my Wednesday sessions, and that's not to criticize the uh, the guys uh, who are playing in those sessions. It's just that you know their their availabilities are all over the place. So, um, an open table game like my Barrow Maze game has been a really great way of having a regular game that sees regular story advancement, but doesn't require the same people to attend each time. I think that a game like this, uh, like RuneQuest, would be difficult to run like that in the same way that Traveler is difficult to run because if you have inconsistent attendance each time maybe you're going to see you know you'll leave on a cliffhanger one week and then that player you know the player who is in the spotlight for that would not be there the next session so then you're scrambling trying to figure out well what the hell am I going to do with my session today so um so that's why those games may not be ideal for my Wednesday and uh, my Wednesday sessions, but, you know, my Fridays, my Friday sessions that are currently open, that's a four-hour session. It's a regular attendance usually for who's playing in that thing. And uh, it's uh, my, my uh, Saturday mornings uh, where I, when I'm running Pathfinder. Maybe that would be something that I'd get more satisfaction out of. You know, I, I would uh, be able to do what I'm doing. You know, the way I came about uh, really embracing the uh, Warhammer game was just letting it, you know, letting it go where, where players want to go. Um, I'm, I'm not caught. I'm not. I'm not working towards a specific goal for for the campaign. I'm. I'm. I've got a story that's going on, but uh, you know, if the players choose to do something different, it's not going to uh, affect my um, my enjoyment of the of the game, nor what uh, you know what I've got on offer for the players to do. Whatever they whatever they choose to do, however they choose to approach things, it's going to be interesting and fun. Um. And I guess I, I I wonder whether I'm kind of I'm ready for a break from the level based games right now too. Um, up until my dalliance with the OSR, I really didn't run a lot of level based things. You know, most of the games I ran were either uh, indie games or they were games that did that did not have a level based approach. Um, looking on on the longest campaigns I've run for the last little while, the um, Iron, God, Iron Kingdom's uh, RPG we ran for about two and a half years 
Uh, and that was not level based. You just got XP and then you gained, uh, as you gained uh, XP, you would gain access to certain, you know, new selections for talents or skills or whatever. Uh, the Fantasy Flight Star Wars game we ran for about a year and a half. Similarly, that didn't have any level-based stuff. The Conan uh, 2D20 game we ran for a while. That uh, likewise is just you gain XP and you spend it like a resource. So there's not level-based gains there. And um, I uh, and the Traveler game, you know, which doesn't have any XP to it. And I, I uh, so at default, that's what I've been running. And um, my recent experience with a lot of OSR games is what brought me back to a, a level-based game. Um, and I've really enjoyed running them. But I wonder if I need... I, I would like to take um, a break from... Though, from, from the Not not from the level-based ba- level games that aren't uh, leaving me restless. But I'm not sure that the Pathfinder game is is the right thing to be running on a Saturday morning for me because I don't know it doesn't you know uh, I, I apart from the players who I'm playing with uh, the adventure itself is not inter- interesting me enough to want to continue on um, because I, I mean I, I never really enjoy just playing through an adventure I always much prefer seeing where players will, will take things of you know upending the apple cart as it were and, and then seeing where things go uh, and um, and I really don't like. I mean, I don't think I'm built as a DM for a long-term adventure path. You know, for for something that's going to take a year and a bit to play through because I just I get bored. Uh, you know, the things I I've enjoyed the most about my um, the the play so far in the Iron Gods campaign has been all the non-scripted stuff we've been doing so far of letting the players interact with the NPCs. You know, setting them on very small you know, one session uh, missions where they're in, interacting with, uh, you know, gremlins or, or whatever. Um, that's been the most enjoyable part of that game, not playing through the actual material of the cam- of the adventure path itself. And I constantly rail against that, uh, that, that sensibility or, or that, 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 you know, my, what, what I, I think ultimately know is that I, I'm not going to be satisfied running an adventure path. I love them and I, I love I love many of them, I should say, and I love the the, the the materials for them. They're great books. I love reading them, but you know, I, I'm not. I just don't think that that's um, that gives me enough opportunities to express my own creative impulses uh, in in a campaign uh, as I get in many of the other games that I run. So. Hmm, that's where I, I think that just, you know, that, that kind of springtime, my, my head's turning somewhere else. Uh, it's not the other level-based games, because uh, my Ash game that runs on Saturday mo- alternate Saturday mornings, that game I still, uh, I thoroughly adore. And uh, my Starfinder game I thoroughly adore as well, too. And uh, that's partly because I've, I have allowed myself to really indulge uh, my own, uh, I'm writing my own stuff for it. I'm not running the, the uh, campaigns just as written. Um, hmm. and also to be honest, I like Starfinder a lot more than I like Pathfinder First Edition. You know, I mean, Starfinder is a a different animal, and I think it's closer to the Second Edition Pathfinder stuff and to Fourth Edition D anD D, in the sense that there's uh, there's a f- uh, a really flexible core mechanic that underpins the entire game that is I find really easily to improvise. 
you know, to uh, to make up stuff for. And I don't find that that's as easy to do with Pathfinder because Pathfinder First Edition has a rule for everything, and and you know, and that's just that's the way that game is. It, it's it's what it is intended to be. But I just don't think I like running that kind of of game. I don't want to have to look up what shit is and you know what the DCs would be for certain things. I want to make it up. I want to I want to be able to improvise stuff on the fly and make mini games. You know the way I used to with Fourth Edition and the way I have been doing with uh, Starfinder. Um, and I find that the other games, Warhammer Fourth, um, RuneQuest, seems like it would let you do that as well. Those games will let you do that kind of stuff. Will let you make up those kind of fun mini games. The things that I really enjoyed in, um, playing in, in One Ring. You know, One Ring reminds me a lot of the, the, the tasks that, they, that you do in that, the, the iterative tasks, uh, they remind me a lot of skill challenges from 4th edition D&D. That's one of my favorite, um, favorite uh, innovations that came from that edition. They could be really, like, in the hands of a, of a less creative DM, I, I don't doubt that they'd be really boring and they just feel like a series of dice rolls, but uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that mechanic and we, we, ha- we were able to gamify a lot of really interesting uh, scenes when we ran uh, 4th edition D&D. I ran that for about two and a half years as well too. It was We got a lot of use out of uh, that particular edition of D&D. Probably more than any other editions uh, thus far to be honest. Um, but that's a different uh, uh, issue. But what I'm thinking is just, you know, when a level-based game ties in the mechanical advancement to specific achievements in the story the way you do with milestones. I really don't think I like that. I, I think that really runs contrary to uh, to what I want to, you know, how I want to play, role, or how I want to run role-playing games. I want the players to know their specific, to see that regular inching towards an achievement, at inching towards a next level. You know, the, the fun thing that, that comes when I play, I love seeing like, oh, I know I'm going to hit that next level. Gosh, one more session, then we'll do, you know, we'll hit that next thing. Or conversely, you know, in an OSR game where you're going to see that, that feast or famine aspect where like, gosh, we didn't fight a lot. We didn't find a lot of treasure. So we're not getting a lot of XP this session. But, you know, that next session where we do fight a bunch of things and we recover a bunch of loot. Holy shit, we're going to gain a whole level this session. That stuff um, evens out to a really satisfying play experience milestones eh, you know it it honestly it kind of penalizes the style of play that i really enjoy which is to enjoy the journey you know to let players drink in those individual sessions those individual um things where they've chosen to really spend a lot of time interfacing with an npc or exploring a specific area you know um I find dungeon crawls satisfying when I have an opportunity to really play up the, you know, the dressing, the, the set design, if you will, of those elements. You know, the, the things they're encountering to really bring it alive and try and, um, you know, ground those characters in there and make the players feel as much part of that experience as they can. Uh, because that's what makes it interesting. You know, and the thing is, if you're not, um, I don't know, if you're playing a milestone system, all of those things, when you're not advancing towards uh, a specific goal, then all you're doing is is effectively wasting, not wasting time, 
but in the, in the context overall, but in the context of getting towards that achievement, to, that reward that you want to give your players for saying here, here's for doing such a you know great job of playing. Here's here's what you get is you know the thing that um, everyone enjoys, which is more powers, more spells, more whatever the fuck you get, more hit points, whatever you get from that next level. I can't give that until we hit the milestone, or I potentially break the game. And that's only in those games that are uh, that don't allow for flexible dialing up, dialing down a difficulty like you get with uh, Starfinder. Um, whereas in these other games, we just play. You know, all I need to do is make an interesting story, let you interface with the interesting story, and then go. And you know what? Like one of the things to to really, if you want to understand the difference of philosophy of what you're doing in your adventure, look at what you how a Rune Quest or a Warhammer Fantasy role playing adventure is structured, or a Call of Cthulhu adventure is structured, what it consists of, what it, um, you know, a module, I mean. Uh, and you compare that to a D&D module, you know, and uh, I don't mean, I'm not trying to just shit on D&D here uh, because, you know, it's, it's, D&D is a, is a really, really fun game as well. Just what I'm looking for right now, I think is something that is more than just a collection of combat encounters. You know, something that... Um, and that's obviously not what D&D is. That's really presenting it as a straw man. Obviously, people enjoy role-playing in d and I'm having a ton of fun doing that in my... Uh, um, you know, in my uh, uh, Warcraft 5th uh, edition game, that Errors of Eversong campaign I'm running currently. But, uh, but that one, I'm not using a milestone system. I'm using the... Um, what he calls the uh, um, XP system from uh, the Cine Nominee games, from uh, Revised Stars Without Number, from uh, Godbound, from uh, Scarlet Heroes, where you're going to see advancement up to level three pretty quickly, and then from there on it goes, uh, you know, uh, slows down, but you get one XP per session regardless of what happens. So at the very least, players show up, they play, they see regular advancement for their characters. Um, that is. Um, you know, so so I, I'm not seeing the same problem uh, that I'm seeing with the war, uh, the Pathfinder game, there. But anyway, I guess like what I'm hmm, saying is that I guess where where I'm at right now is after having a weekend of considering where you know where my interests are and. and um, really diving into a very different style of game that supports a very different style of play, I find myself, you know, reminded of the the real joy I had in running that Traveler campaign and running a game that does not, that is not class-based, that is not level-based, something that um, supports a... Or that structures itself in a totally different way of arranging the mechanics and the XP system and the advancement from what I'm I'm currently getting in uh, my level-based games, or at least uh, you know, in in particular in one of the level-based games, it's really helped highlight that. And I think it's what it's done as well. Uh, and this maybe is partly thinking about this uh, Dragon Heist thing. Is like I don't knowing that what I want to do with my um, my gaming marathon is really make for a really special experience. Like, to be honest, I start planning these things in January, and I, I start thinking about what I want to do next as soon as it's over. 
every year I start thinking about this thing, you know, June 2nd, when, when the things the session is over with, and I start thinking about what I might do and really start planning for it come January. Um, so I spend six months really invested in thinking about what I'm going to do there. Um, I often have lots of false starts with it where I'll, I'll plan one whole campaign. I'll put a lot of uh, effort into writing the material for it. And then at the last minute, throw everything out and start prepping for something different. You know, um, I also have, have, uh, I love keeping a surprise for my players so they don't know until we, uh, you know, we're at the table and uh, we're breaking out the materials. I love that stuff. It's, it makes for a really fun experience. And often I have some other surprises for the players as well. And um, the idea that I might just run this dry... The, the only thing going for Dragon Heist right now is that there's a lot of fun stuff that's in that uh, box set, that, that uh, Platinum Edition Dragon Heist. The system does not particularly interest me for, for telling this kind of story. Um, the setting does not interest me in the least because I couldn't give two shits about uh, Waterdeep or, or the things that are there. There's just nothing about it that that interests me and in particular when I compare it to a lot of the other available settings that I've got it really falls short I'd sooner go to Thule or I'd sooner go to um, Cromarium in the Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea setting I'd sooner go to Lankmar in the Savage World setting I've got I'd sooner go to uh, gosh um, Shem or um, Stygia you know, uh, or um, the what is it? The spires in the media in uh, Conan, and the only reason I wouldn't do that again is because it's it's revisiting a game that I already ran at a gaming marathon, so I wouldn't want to do that. But um, so that the setting doesn't interest me. So if, and the adventure itself is just I it requires an awful lot of work and requires me to re to basically write a completely different uh, adventure if I really want to run something that 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 really interests me. So. I guess what I'm saying is I think that what I'm going to do is set aside what I had planned for it and figure out what would make, what would really make for a satisfying gaming marathon, a real, a real surprise for my players, a really terrific setting that would embrace all those 10 rules that I, I set out in the last episode about running a one shot. Um, and it would make for, you know, one of those really memorable Sessions, uh, something that that uh, we can all look back on and think, boy, that was really something special. That was a really there were memorable stuff that happened, memorable characters we we played in that, and um, yeah, it really highlights that once a year event that we get to. And I don't think a level based and I, and just you know, as a corollary as well too, thinking of of like sh- of how my ongoing campaigns should be, you know, capture that kind of excitement, kind of walk away from every single session of like, God, I enjoy that. I can't wait to run it again. And I don't feel that currently with my Pathfinder game. I feel that with Starfinder. I feel that with um, my Warcraft campaign because I love that setting and I love these characters. Uh, I I, uh, I feel that with my, um, um, what is it? My Warhammer 4th Edition game. I love that game. Um, Barrow Maze, I'm not feeling that either right now just because we've had so much inconsistency with the players. I'm not really, it's not, gripping me the way it was at first so uh so i guess come springtime where i'm feeling a little unsettled i'm feeling like my you know i feel a little restless i feel like i want to sow my oats with uh something different that's what i'm thinking right now you know i haven't made any decisions yet as to what i what specifically i want to do but that's kind of where i'm at so i think that it's uh i shook things up uh earlier or at the end of last quarter maybe i should have uh shaking loose something else that's what this this weekend 
uh, of soul searching and diving into a very different style of game. That's what it's got me thinking. It's also got me thinking of something different too for plans for August. Maybe what I'll do is segue in the next section to talk about August and my proposal for a an event that I'm calling Appendix August. All right, so I'm going to preface this next section uh, just by saying that I, this is not intended as a slight to D&D or any D&D uh, related game. Um, I, I only say that because the uh, I think there's there may be an implication. Uh, well, I don't know. I, I don't think there is, but I, I, I guess um, what I'm going to talk about is the Appendix N for uh, AD, for D&D. And that's, uh, for those who are unfamiliar, I imagine anyone who listens to this podcast already knows this, but uh, the Appendix N was the list of inspirational material uh, that was found at the back of, I believe it was the AD&D Dungeon Master's Guide, the first edition of that. And it's been a, a thing that's kind of carried forward. And, and it's a list of all the different, like I said, the, the significant works that um, inspired the, uh, the D&D game. And... Uh, you know, that, I mean, that includes a lot of the stuff you would expect, like Tolkien and, uh, you know, uh, Robert E. Howard and Conan, um, Jack Vance. Um, I honestly don't remember if, uh, Clark Ashton Smith is listed in the Appendix N. Um, but there's all, there's been, a, um, it's certainly, that's one of the inspirations behind, uh, Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea, uh, Lovecraft. H.P. Uh, Lovecraft and his uh, myths, um, and in um, the most recent version, the the fifth edition version of uh, the Appendix N, they actually include more modern things. You know, like the um, Song of Ice and Fire from uh, George R. R. Martin, um, and uh, I can't remember the name of the series, but uh, Patrick Rothfuss's uh, series about I, I haven't read them, um, but uh, I, they're listed as uh, an inspiration as well too. And, and I've heard from a lot of other. Uh, folks who read more uh, fantasy fiction that that's a big uh, thing for them uh, as well so what I'm going to talk about is is the games inspired by the inspirational material behind D&D so D&D is um, a game that originates obviously in a war game uh, that be you know be, that evolved into a role playing game and um, it continues to this day to kind of show its roots. You know, the thing, the element of the game, the mechanics that are the most developed are the combat system. And and that's not to say that, the, the you know, that d d is only about combat or anything like that. It's just that at its core, the, the, the starting point for its design was resolution of violence. And that's you know that has a substantial effect on how that game is played at the table you know when you when you set the parameters or the the guidelines or whatever of what your game is about by you know setting down what the rules are about then that has an effect on on how that game plays so because of that you know D&D has i mentioned at the outset of this how you know Merp uh one of the earliest middle earth role playing uh, the uh earliest if not the earliest iteration of a uh, role-playing game set in middle earth felt like a weird fit because it ta- it took a pre-existing DD clone effectively and then bolted it onto the middle earth setting so there were certain sensibilities uh that um that were inherent to the game 
rather than trying to simulate or to create something that is based on the, you know, on the fiction. And also there's a lot of, I mean, in fairness to D&D too, there's a lot of different uh, cooks in that kitchen, right? There's a lot of things that, um, that went into the inspiration for that, meaning that um, the, the game is, you know, has a lot of uh, fathers and mothers. Um, it's not just trying to be Tolkien or trying to be Conan or trying to be whatever. Um, and playing the One Ring got me thinking about just how well that game does it, its job of creating a, um, you know, a Tolkien, uh, authentic Tolkien experience. It really felt like being part of a Legendarium playing that game, way more so than, than um, playing any other game has, has ever made me feel part of that specific thing. And that got me thinking about a lot of the other games that I really love that I've got on my shelf. You know, uh, when uh, the Modifius created the 2D20 Conan game, they, I mean, they did have the mechanic already. Uh, the, the 2D20 Conan, or 2D20 system, was already created for the um, Mutant Chronicles 3rd Edition, so it wasn't created fresh for that. It had also already been adapted, and or was in the process of being adapted for the... Um, uh, What's it called? Uh, there's a there's a uh, space opera kind of cyberpunk thing that uh, they published for that I, I can't remember the name of right now, but that um, uh, it was already being Infinity I think is what it's called and uh, that was already being uh, adapted for that, but it was further refined and specifically made to suit the Conan style of of play. Um, and they, you know, the the what they seem to do with that game over the course of course of producing it is to make a an experience at the table that was as visceral and as um, you know flavorful as what reading Howard's fiction is like, and it really plays off at the table like it is. It's not a. a, a streamlined uh, game by any means it's it, there's a lot I shouldn't say that it's not that it's not streamlined it's, there there's a lot of rules to that game um but boy is it a lot of fun to play and you really do feel like a Howardian hero when you're playing that and and when you run it too you know like when you run it it has this uh real I don't know it's got this real uh vibrant kind of spirit to it that feels like authentically um Howardian. It's not the system I'd use to run everything by any means, but for doing Conan, it does a great job. Um, I've also got uh, the uh, um, A Song of Ice and Fire role-playing game published by Green Ronin. Uh, it's in its second edition and it's uh is it second edition or maybe it's just the second printing of it. But in any event, uh it likewise does its best to try and make a game that highlights in its mechanics all the things that are cool about um, uh, about uh, Martin's work, about his world and, and that work, you know, like there's lots of rules great rules for uh, mass battles there's great rules for uh, intrigue, like it's a real thing in that, as detailed as what the combat system is and um, I uh, playing the One Ring got me thinking about those games about boy, like I, I should really look at, at these games and see what you know, how it compares to, you know, to, to, to their stated goal, which is to simulate the, or emulate the, the fiction. Um, the recent uh, anniversary of uh, 
of uh, HP Lovecraft's death as well, too, had me listening to a ton of uh, audio versions of his uh, short stories and novellas, and uh, got me thinking about uh, Call of Cthulhu as well, too, another game that has tried its best to try and emulate uh, what the experience is of reading a, um, you know, um, a HP Lovecraft, uh, you know, Cthulhu mythos story. And uh, that got me thinking about, you know, I like, I, I want to try and get more, more of these to the table, but I thought, and, and I have my, my buddy Arlen to thank for this as well, because we were kind of going back and forth on Twitter about this. And uh, I think what I'm going to do is, or what I proposed was to take August to each weekend run a different, uh, you know, appendix-based game. And, and I extend it to the more modern thing. So take a weekend to not run a game that is just a game that happens to draw inspiration from a number of things, but run those games that are specifically trying to capture a specific author or specific settings, uh, sensibilities, you know? Um, so what I set out initially was, uh, to do Conan 2d20, to do one ring, to do a song of ice and fire, uh, the RPG, and uh, I originally said, um, oh, what was it? And, and Call of Cthulhu. And then I also th- th- thought that um, I would, uh, uh, I might run Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea because that, that does owe an awful lot to Clark Ashton Smith. But I, I, I have kind of waffled on that one. I love that game and I love the excuse to run it. Um, but I think that what I'm going to do instead is by that point, I should have my copies of the... Um, uh, John Carter of Mars RPG coming out from uh, Modifius, and it is based on the same core mechanic of 2D20 and generating momentum that you find in Conan, but it's a vastly different expression of that, in the same way that the Star Trek Adventures uh, expression of the 2D20 system is very different from that in Conan, um, or that in uh, Carter, or uh, John Carter of Mars. So what I'm going to do for the five Fridays in um, August, because normally I, you know, my, my players, people are on vacation and people are missing days and things like that, that I'm just going to say, all right, we're not running our regular games. We're going to run nothing but appendix inspired games. So games that, um, that you would find that, uh, made up the world's most famous and most popular role-playing game. Instead of running that, we're going to, we're going to find stuff that specifically tries to emulate that. Now, I, I mean, uh, I mentioned Call of Cthulhu. Um, there's obviously a lot of other iterations of that you could uh, you'd run, like uh, you know uh, Eldritch Tales or uh, Trail of Cthulhu. Um, I think there's another there's another Cthulhu hack that's Cthulhu Dark or something like that recently. But you know what? I mean, I, I like Call of Cthulhu an awful lot, and I don't get a chance to run it. I honestly ran more Call of Cthulhu in my high school years than I did AD and D. Like it, it was our preferred go to game. We we played that so much. Um, and I, I just don't run it very often. So that's why in the event that, uh, anyone wants to respond and suggest other Cthulhu, uh, inspired games, I, I'm aware of them and I, and I think they're great. Many of them are, are great. Um, but that's what I want to, uh, I want to do with August. And I've, I've actually had at least one other streamer who's jumped on board with this as well. And so we've got someone else who's going to do appendix August. And, um, the reason I, I wanted to mention is because if it, it, I mean, partly because I'm, I'm excited about it and uh, I'd like to get people's feedback on it too. But if anyone else listening is a streamer as well, consider taking August to, since you're going to probably have absences in your regular games, or even if you're just running home games, maybe take an opportunity to get one of those 
you know, uh, those types of games that is what well, that had a concerted effort to try and, you know, create um, a style of play or a play experience that is based on a specific source, you know, rather than something that's a conglomeration. Like, for instance, okay, Starfinder is a great example. Starfinder draws inspiration from pretty much any sci-fi or sci-fantasy game. It's its own thing, uh, in the same way that D&D is its own thing, um, but it draws inspiration from a bunch of different sci-fi sources. You compare that to Star Wars. Star Wars, this Fantasy Flight Star Wars game, the you know West End Star Wars game, it specifically is trying to um, to create a specific style of uh, of play, something that um, you know that uh, that simulates and makes for a play experience that feels like you're part of that that same fiction that you're part of playing the fantasy fight star Wars game feels like being part of a star Wars movie. To be honest, the, the D 20 versions do not. Um, but, uh, the fantasy flight one does sure for sure, especially well, at least at low levels, it does. Um, but yeah, but that's what I'm, I'm thinking of for, for appendix August. Uh, I need to get my, um, gaming marathon out of the way first before I can start planning for that. Uh, and I got some charity sessions that are still in, uh, in the hopper, but, uh, I've got those all, I've got the, the content for all of those teed up now, so I know what I'll be running uh, for each of those things, and I know what the story is going to be. I just need to finish writing the whole sessions. Uh, but I'm excited for it. I think that it'll make for a fun, uh, you know, fun August to get a bunch of really cool games to the table that um, that I don't normally get. And if you've had one of those games sitting on your shelf, maybe think about doing that same thing. Take one of those... Uh, you know, uh, one of those opportunities. I'm I'm trying to rope in the uh, publishers with this uh, as well too to to pump it up. Not not to get any you know material or shit like that, but just uh, to to help put some light on um, some smaller publishers. You know, uh, I mean, Modifius and Cubicle Seven and Green Ronin. They're not tiny. They're not indie publishers. Um, they're big players. But you know, anything that gives that sheds a light on other types of games beyond just the you know the big bad guy not that he's a bad guy but i mean like something other than 5e um i think it it will help uh people who might uh want to play those games you know you, what i regularly find when i talk about uh these types of games or i run these games on the channel on my youtube channel um i hear people say boy i just can't find players for it boy i just can't find players for it and i think part of that is visibility you know the 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 fact that some of these games do not get the attention online uh or you know be it in in twitter or on youtube or on blogs or whatever uh they don't get the same um exposure uh that uh you know dnd gets uh, so maybe you know if i focus choosing one month to just focus on these smaller games these games that are designed ground up to try and simulate it rather than using a combat simulator as a uh, starting point and then try and kludge that to uh to fit whatever setting you want to play, um, maybe that might, would make for a fun, you know, experience. And, we, and it would make for a fun community experience as well, too. So anyway, that is my thoughts on Appendix August. Um, I think that's all I wanted to talk about this week. So maybe let's make to the end, the outro. So that's what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of spring. I'm thinking of my summer gaming marathon and i'm thinking of what to do as we get closer to fall in appendix august um 
yeah, so I guess that's that's kind of that. As always, um, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, or ideas for uh, for what I talk about in this episode, please don't hesitate to drop me a line. You can you can reach me by uh, voice message on Anchor. Uh, you can shoot me uh, an email. My email address is dungeonmusings at gmail.com. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is dungeonmusings. You can also find me on the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel. So if you haven't uh, checked out the channel, I have a ton of uh, actual play sessions on there. We have a lot of um, uh, reviews. We have a lot of... Well, not a lot of... We have a few unboxings. Uh, I only do those really for products I'm particularly excited to see. But we've got some uh, some neat ones on there for some Traveler stuff that... Uh, uh, Dragon Heist, uh, one that I mentioned, but, uh, um, anyway, and you can find that again at, uh, Dungeon Musings on, uh, YouTube. Otherwise, thanks so much for listening. I hope this finds you well, and until next time, happy gaming. Oh, one more thing. <laughs> if you are, uh, a streamer and you're interested in participating in the, um, Appendix August, uh, event, um, let me know, uh, shoot me, uh, contact me at one of those, uh, different ways. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure to, to include you in the, uh, in the list. Cause I, I, I'm, it's not going to be until, uh, June that I probably reach out to some of the publishers, but, um, yeah, just to, I, I think that, uh, I, I'd like to have an idea of who else might be interested in participating in this, uh, before I reach out. So it's not just a, a lone voice where well, actually there's two of us now, but two lone voices, in the woods, um, reaching out. So anyway, uh, again, I hope that, uh, this finds everybody well and I'll tell next time. Happy gaming.